Last week we left off of Hebrews chapter 4 at verse 13, and today I'll read from 14 and continuing. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has, be t has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, but since he himself is beset with weakness, because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The word of the Lord, and everyone said... Amen. Thank you, Tim. I was stimulated last week by a conversation that I had with Photo Joe as men's fraternity ended. Um, we started talking about astronauts. And so it, it prompted me to go back and take a look at some original footage of July the 16th, 1969. On July 16th, 1969, the launch of the space shuttle Apollo 11 took a space flight that eventually landed three men on the moon, first human beings to, to touch the surface of the moon. And as I watched that footage, I couldn't help but be amazed by, by the roar of the rocket boosters and the, the rumbling of the earth as that thing took off. <laughs> If you ever seen footage, you know, man, it's just spectacular, it's unbelievable. But most important to me was being able to pan out on the audience and watching the emotions of the people as they attempted to wrap their mind around what they were really seeing, what they had just witnessed. And as that rocket ship took off through the clouds and got to the place where they couldn't see it anymore, it vanished and disappeared from sight. You could just see on their face this bewilderness, like, this bewilderness like, what next? What do we do now? They had just witnessed one of the most important pieces, historic events of all of human history. What do we do? I think this had to be similar to the experience of of the apostles in the book of Acts, of the disciples in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, 10, and 11, where it says, Jesus had finished talking to his disciples, and as he was finishing, the Bible says that he began to ascend up into heaven, and he ascended out of their sight while they were still looking at him. 
just gazing. Then two men appeared in white, and they said, you men, why are you standing here, you men of Galilee, looking into heaven? This, this Jesus who was taken into heaven will come again in the same way you saw him when he entered into heaven. Why? Why is he going to do that? Why is he coming back? Because he loves us, and he's coming back for us. And he's earned the right to return. I don't want you to miss that. Jesus Christ has earned the right to return. I want to take for us a title this morning, Our Great High Priest. Our Great High Priest. Picking up where we left off in chapter 4 at verse 14, carry to the next job of reading. Let's break this passage down today. The preacher says to us in verse 14 following, he says, Since then... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find Grace to help in our time of need. He is our great high priest. What does that mean? What's, what's the significance of that? Well, to understand the significance of, of the importance of the high priest, we have to understand the role of the high priest in, in Jewish history. The high priest, in accordance with Levitical law, once a year on the Day of Atonement, would represent the people by going into the Holy of Holies, where he'd sprinkle blood of certain animals on the mercy seat, symbolically atoning for both his own sins and then for the sins of all the people. The high priest, the traditional high priest, would have to be a person that was sympathetic, someone who was aware of his own weaknesses and sins. And it's this awareness that would enable him to be compassionate and sympathetic while dealing or when dealing with the people he represented. It was also important that the high priest was, was selected from among the people because he would be appointed to represent his people in the matters that related to God, offering sacrifices and gifts for their sins. The high priest was ordained by God and would serve the people until either a change in the law or until death. This was a human responsibility given to humanity by God. No angel, no angelic being, no celestial being, none of, a, of any of the God's creation could function as the high priest. It had to be a living, breathing human being that shared the nature of humanity with those he represented. The high priest had to be one of us, one of them. So what does that have to do with Jesus? Why would he be referred to as our great high priest? In other words, family, why, why Jesus? What made the role of Jesus so important as high priest? Well, first, why Jesus? Because he knows what we need him. We know, he knows what we need him to know. 
He knows what we need him to know. He's already been where we desire to go. Scripture says that he passed through the heavens, but you got to remember he was there before he came to earth, and now he's, he's there again. We speak to the things that we believe in faith about heaven. Jesus speaks through experience, what he's seen and what he's experienced. He knows exactly what we need. He understands our need for mercy and our need for grace. Listen, grace is getting something that I don't deserve. Mercy is not getting something that I do deserve. And Jesus understands humanity's need for both. Jesus took on our, our human limitations, and he lived under the same pressures that we live under in this world, and he did it successfully without sin. You see, Jesus Christ is both fully God and fully man. Jesus fully understands both the character of God and the, the nature of humanity. Why? Because he possessed both. Scripture tells us that he was in this world, but he was not of this world. And it's this truth that qualified him to stand in the gap between two worlds, experiencing life both as human and as divine simultaneously. Because Jesus was fully human, he had to cope with the effects of sin, and therefore he understands the heartache and the pain of sin and the payment for sin, which is death. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. That's our payment. He knows the impact of our sorrow and our suffering. Isaiah 53 and 3 says that he was a man of sorrow, acquainted with our grief. Why? Because Jesus Christ, God incarnate, was fully human. Because he was fully God, he he had something to give that would rid the world of sin. Because he was without sin, he was not bound by our sinful limitations as, as human beings. There was no defect in his character or nature. He had no marks of sin. He possessed the full nature and the character of God. Being fully God, he endured what he had to endure. Listen to this now. By choice. He chose to. Being fully God, he was tempted, yet without sin. Now, how, how can this be? How can he be fully human and, and not be tempted by sin? Temptation is the, the genuine opportunity and the power to sin and, use, and then choosing not to. Sin is the union of our will with ungodly desires. Did Jesus have the opportunity to sin? Absolutely, yes, he did, because he was, he was fully human, he was fully man, and yet he chose not to. Why? Because he was also fully God. And as God, it was impossible for him to sin, because in doing so, it would be in direct contradiction to his holy nature and character. So I thought about this, and I asked Lance the other day, I said, Lance, I said, is it, a, is it possible for you to pull out a gun and put it up to Dakota's head and pull the trigger? He said, no, no, it's not possible for me. 
I said, but we live in a world where nothing's impossible, Lance. Why would it not be possible for you to do that? He said, because that's my son. It's not in my character. It's not in my nature to do that. I was thinking about my grandson. You know, as, as, as a grandfather, as a granddad, it is impossible for me to think about torturing my grandson. It's impossible. Why? Because it's impossible for me to do something that's outside of the things that I love and cherish. It's inconsistent with my character. And it was inconsistent with the character of Jesus Christ. Watch this now. God in the flesh to be tempted as sin by sin as we are. Why? Because it was inconsistent with his character, with the very nature of God. It was impossible for him to do something that was in contradiction to his character. I think John sums it up best in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. He says, God is light. And in him there is no darkness. And the original Greek reads like this. In him there is no darkness. No, no darkness at all. It was impossible for Jesus to sin as God. But yet as a man, how did, how did Jesus maintain his ability not to be tempted by sin? Scripture tells us time and again, he kept himself Full. Everybody say full. He kept himself full. Everybody say full. He kept himself full of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 4 verse 1 says that Jesus was, was full of the Holy Spirit even before he was driven into the wilderness by, to be tempted by Satan. And then the Bible says after 40 days, of being tempted, he still returned from the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit and of power. And then Paul writes for us in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, he says the same spirit, not a different spirit, family, but the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in us. And if we will be Full and filled with the Holy Spirit, that same Spirit will quicken and strengthen us just as it strengthened Jesus. <laughs> Through Jesus Christ, our, our great high priest, we can now approach the throne of grace with confidence. Confidence in the Father that he will never reject us. Confidence that grace and mercy is ours whenever we need it. Confidence that we now stand in the righteousness, clothed in the righteousness of the Son. He's our high priest. So why Jesus? Because he knows what we, what we need him to know. And he is who we need him to be. Pick it up in chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. 
No one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Selection. The high priest would be selected by the people, from amongst the people. This wasn't an honor that, that, that he called himself to. He had to be called by God, family, and, and divinely appointed by the people. In most cases, the priest understood this responsibility, and, and so he was filled with, with deep humility and reverence and fear. I never thought about this, but Dan Gerald was talking about this, and I don't know why I never thought about this, but, but Dan says, he said, listen, the high priest was the king of the sinful because he was the highest representative of the, of the sinful nature of man. And the reality is that, that the high priest that he was a high priest of righteousness representing the unrighteousness of the people. Only the high priest could sacrifice for the sins of the nation in the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Then, and only then, after he offered sacrifices for both himself and his family, the high priest was responsible to bring sin into the presence of God. If you want to know about more about the, the, the garment that the high priest had to wear, you can, you can go to Exodus chapter 28 and follow, and it'll give you, a, a, I mean, just a step-by-step -step detailed explanation of the garment of the high priest. But part of the garment that the high priest had to wear consisted of, of these bells that chimed as he walked that, that was on the hem of the garment and in other parts of the garment. And also part of it was, was this rope that they tied around his ankle. And here's why. Because if the high priest somehow forgot to offer sacrifice for forgiveness of a sin issue in his life, he would enter into the temple and he would be consumed by the righteousness of God. And then what would happen is if the bells quit chiming, they knew that he had been consumed, and so they would just pull him out of the temple. That's not a job I want. I'm so thankful to the Lord that that's not the case today. Can you imagine that? That was his responsibility, so he approached it with fear and reverence. Hmm. He was a priest. Jesus was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So what does that mean? What, what, what made Melchizedek so, so unique and so interesting? Well, Jesus was a high priest after the order of Melchizedek because Melchizedek was this figure that came on scene that we don't know a whole lot about. In Genesis chapter 14, beginning at verse 18, it says that Abraham had returned from the war of kings, and he was celebrating, and he was met by this man, Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, at that, during this celebration, he brings to Moses bread and wine. 
And he blesses, not, not Moses, but Abraham, and blesses Abraham. Abraham, you know, remember, is the father of the nation of Israel. He's the father of our faith. And this, this high priest, Melchizedek, offers and pays tithes. Or, or Abraham pays tithes to Melchizedek of one-tenth of everything that he owned. Everybody say, slow down, pastor. Yeah, because I don't want you to walk out here thinking that it was Moses when it was indeed Abraham. So Melchizedek sits down, he breaks bread. It's like communion, bread and wine with Abraham. Abraham offers one-tenth of everything that he owns. And here's what's interesting. Like I said, we don't know very much about Melchizedek, but here's what we do know. We know that he was both priest and king, and he was priest and king before there was even a priesthood, before the Aaronic and the Levitical priesthood. We also know that he had no traceable genealogy. We also know that the, the name Melchizedek is a, is a compound name. Melchi means king. Zedek means righteousness. So he is, his name means king of righteousness. He is both king and priest of Salem. The word Salem in the Hebrew is, is the same word for shalom, where we get priests, where we get peace from. So righteousness and peace if you, if you don't know this, righteousness and peace are the same concept in the Greek. So Melchizedek is the king of righteousness and peace, having no traceable genealogy or descent. He becomes the foreshadow, the first incarnation of the, the king of righteousness and peace, Jesus Christ. And that's why the preacher exclaims, from the Psalms, Jesus Christ is the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Hmm. So why Jesus? Because he knows what we need him to know, and, and, and he is who we need him to be. And finally, he did what we needed him to do. Speaks to solidarity. Verse 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard. He was heard because of his reverence. And although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Solidarity. Here's the idea here. The high priest, the high priest didn't have his own interest in mind, but he'd only be concerned about the interests and the needs of others. The high priest, um, he, 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 was, he, he was selected. He was compassionate. That was part of what he needed to be. He was ordained by God. Jesus, in that way, was just like every other high priest. But the difference between Jesus and every other high priest family is that our great high priest, after offering himself as a supreme and superior sacrifice, 
once and for all, entered into the heavens and presented himself to the Father, perfect and sinless, the only perfect and sinless sacrifice ever needed for the atonement of our sins, the last sacrifice. And the difference is, unlike the other priest who died, Jesus Christ lives forever as our high priest, representing us before God. Jesus Christ, unlike any other high priest, is the king of righteousness. And Jesus, instead of bringing sin into the presence of God, brings righteousness, God's righteousness, into the presence of men. And so authentic solidarity of Jesus with humanity is that he learned obedience through what he suffered. And in his humanity, he was made perfect. That word perfect means complete. He was made complete through his suffering. And because he was made perfect and complete through his suffering, he has earned the right to be the source of our eternal salvation. His solidarity to us means that as the righteous king, he can offer to us his eternal righteousness. See, I know some people believe that that Jesus operated as deity here, that what made him different is that he operated as, as God in the flesh. He was God in the flesh, but he operated completely as a human being while he was here, submitted totally to the will of the Father. He wasn't protected from any hardship because he was God, nor was he given any special treatment. While he was here, he had to consistently cry out to the Father, often in tears. I think of the Garden of Gethsemane. He depended on the Holy Spirit for strength and for guidance, and he depended on his Father to deliver him. The fact that he was a son of God wasn't why God listened to him, family. The reason why the Father listened to him was because of his humility, not because of his position as a son. Jesus was humble. He was faithful. He was submissive and in total submission to the will of the Father. And it was that submission and humility that gained him the hearing of the Father. He learned obedience through his painful human experience. And it was his suffering that perfected his human experience because his suffering made him complete as a high priest for us. Lance, you can bring the team up. Can you imagine what the common everyday experience, like people like you and me who wanted relationship with God must have been like before Jesus Christ? Can you imagine it? Can you imagine me back in those days having to take your, your sacrifice to the temple and giving it over to the priest and you can't even go in because only the priest can go in? You don't know if what you have, your best, you don't know that, that your best is, is even good enough. You don't even know if the priest is going to come out alive. You don't know. Before Jesus, the only thing that we could be certain of is that God was beyond reach for you and I. And that you and I could never actually enter into his rest. When Jesus gave his life, and he died for you and I on the cross. Scripture tells us 
in Mark chapter 15, verse 58, that the veil in the temple was rent in two from top to bottom. And in that moment, we, all of us who believe in Jesus Christ, was given free access into the presence of God. And then because Jesus Christ rose again and is alive today, we have full assurance that we have been set free from the law of sin and death and that one day our resurrected Savior, our great high priest, is coming back for us. You know, I want to close the way that I began here in talking about the experience of the disciples in Acts chapter 1. Luke writes, he says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took them out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, two men, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Why Jesus? Because we need him. Because without Jesus, we're just like those men and women that stood there on the ground on July 16th, 1969, gazing up into the clouds as the rocket pierced through the clouds and was gone, wondering, what do we do now? What's next? But that's not the life of the follower of Jesus Christ, is it? Because we know that our great high priest one day is coming back for us. The question is, will you be ready? Bow your heads with me. Maybe you're here and for the first time, you have heard this message of good news, the gospel. You have yet to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Today can be your day. Jesus is coming back. It's not just a hope, it's a promise. And sitting here today, you can have the assurance that when he comes back, when our great high priest returns, that when he gathers up in, us up in the clouds, that you can be part of that great number. So if you're sitting here today and you haven't given your life to Jesus, it's really simple. Scripture tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And it's, it's this simple. It's just believing what you're about to ask. And all you have to do is say, Dear Lord Jesus, I understand that you came to this earth to pay the sacrifice, the ransom for my sins. I apologize. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm asking you right now to come into my life 
I surrender my heart to you. Come into my life. Purge me and clean me up from my sins. I embrace that you are Lord and Savior. And I dedicate my life to you from this day forward. If you've prayed that prayer, Maybe you're a little shy and you don't, you don't want to come up front, that's okay, but I encourage you to find someone that you know, maybe the person that invited you here today, let them know that you've embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we want to come around you and help you into, on this new journey of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Why don't you stand with me? And for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we have reason to rejoice, don't we? Yeah. We have reason to be glad that we've embraced the fact that we have a great high priest, that he's, he's in heaven right now, stand before the Father, but he lives inside of us, doesn't he? Yeah. And watch this now. One day he's coming back to get us, y'all. <laughs> I say he's coming back. And I don't know about you, but if you've been watching the news or if you've been hanging out with Jesus, you probably have the same longing that I have. Even so, come Lord Jesus, because I tell you, I'm ready to get up out of here. Yeah. All right, Lance, why don't you take us out? <laughs>